Welcome to Today on Broadway for Wednesday, December 22nd, 2021. I'm Tell Me on a Sunday podcast, Grace Aki. And I'm arts and culture writer, Ashley Steves. As always, make sure that you're on our Patreon for Broadway Radio. That's patreon.com slash Broadway Radio. You don't want to get yourself for Christmas? Get yourself an exclusive Patreon membership yes, to Broadway Radio. Yes, indeed. Get everyone Treat you yourself. know an exclusive membership to Broadway Radio. So, like we've been starting all the shows this week, we are starting with some COVID news. Oof. Broadway League President Charlotte St. Martin um, talked about COVID protocols. Like she came out and she said that, you know, there there is a possibility of another shutdown, um, but she wants to at least stabilize for the most part. You know, the discussion is after all these numbers of COVID related cancellations, postponements. Literally, our group chat has been blowing up about it. It's screenshotting every single post that's been like, this it's show's true. doing this tonight. Waitress, I just saw on Twitter tonight and tomorrow and then the next day um you know many shows have continued to perform but you know like we talked about last night on the show a third of the broadway shows were dark last weekend so we really needed to know from you know the top of the top of broadway league what we're gonna do if this happens again right so this is what she said we're very aggressive in our outreach of saying we're not closing yes some shows are closing It's so funny to, to start Lord, a sentence because yeah. we're not closing. To <laughs> follow it some with, shows are okay, closing. Okay, so like sometimes we are not peeing in our pants. Okay, so some people are peeing in their pants. Um, <laughs> one day, uh, this is, she goes on to say, one day we had five closings and three of them turned out to be false positives. We did have more closings on Saturday, I think 11, but that still means we had 21 shows performing. We rarely have that many, have very many Monday night performances, but speaking to our holiday schedule tonight, there are 13. So she reassured theater goers that they have no plans for Broadway to shut down completely as it did March in 2020, you know, as as COVID was first spreading. Right. But this has all been very triggering, especially for for performers who, you know, just initially got a text or got an email or got a call. Hey, we're going to be dark tonight, which is what happened last year. So the West End. Yeah, it's just um, I I feel for everyone who's having PTSD. I can't fathom. I'm having my own, but it's in a different capacity. And and so um, I think that the transparency is going to be really we're going to need it. That's all I'm saying. Mm -hmm. And then moving on to the West End, uh, the West End production of Andrew Lloyd Webber's Cinderella has suspended all performances through February 9th of 2022 due to the spread of the Omicron variant of COVID-19. The production says that they're going to try to keep the situation under constant review and they're Mm -hmm. very committed to returning sooner if possible. Uh, You know, if circumstances um, improve, they're going to come back earlier than that. But for now, their plan is to come back February 9th. <sighs> okay, so, um, and, and you know, that's not the only production in the West End. At least, uh, you know, as far as I know, that's not the only production in the West End that has been having closings as well. Yeah, um, that's the national the announced last week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this is obviously the biggest production that we've been talking about fairly regularly, especially with Andrew Lloyd Webber's attachment and everything that he's had to do with, you know, really COVID research vaccine development, which is a weird thing to say, considering he was like a test subject and everything. Um, you and I spoke a little bit about this before the show started, and it's – I'm anticipating a shutdown. I think a lot of people are anticipating a shutdown, and I'm kind of mentally preparing myself for that. And I think a lot of the reason why that needs to happen and why I'm a little bit dismayed with Charlotte St. Martin's statement as per usual is that it's – it's really it's it's downplaying it in a way that I'm not comfortable with. I think you know talking about the false positives and everything. 
that's it's good that we're seeing false positives, uh, but we are still getting positives. We are still getting shows that are shutting down because of actual breakthrough cases in the casts. Um, we've seen it with Mrs. Doubtfire for like two weeks now, for instance, with one of their principal cast members. It's there. There's. <sighs> There is, I think, as always, kind of a gap of communication between the Broadway League and the Broadway audience, and also the actors on the stage. I think a lot of people are back to that level of anxiety that they were having right before the initial shutdown. And I think that communication needs to be a little bit stronger. I'm always kind of just like, well, of course the communication isn't strong from the Broadway League. What else is new? But this is a time where I think a lot, as you said, like a lot of actors are having that uh, PTSD, anxiety all over again, as far as like, what's going to happen to the industry? Are we going to shut down? How, and, and really importantly, how long would a shutdown be? I think that's missing from a lot of the communication right now and a lot of the conversations right now is if we needed to shut down as an industry because of Omicron, how potentially long would that shutdown be? And I know that uh, for that, like a lot of, we don't have the answers to that because we don't know <laughs> what's going to happen with that, this variant. And we don't know if, you know, another variant, unfortunately, may be right on its tails. But it's, it's certainly an anxiety a lot of people are having. And because of that, like everyone is doubly fighting any kind of shutdown where that may be something that needs to happen. Yeah, I want to read just because we were we we're talking about the Charlotte St. Martin of it all. Um, I want to read this other quote. So my educated this is what she says. My educated guess is the newer shows maybe have understudies that aren't as efficient in delivering the role as the lead is. Some of the older shows have more experienced understudies and more experienced swings. I know one show last week where the lead was out, the understudy was on vacation, the swings were covering other parts, and they just didn't have enough people to stand in. It just feels bad. It does. It does. It's not, it's not very respectful of the industry. And, and I can't imagine the scrutiny and the amount of um, stress that might be surrounding this, this person. I don't mean to put this woman down. It's just that that's really, that's not the way we need to talk about the people that are running in and saving shows when they do that as their job. They are constantly Definitely. having to do that. And I mean, it's, Michael, it's I guess like an hour ago, Michael Paulson had even tweeted that, uh, mm. you know, Broadway shows obviously having a really difficult time staying open right now. And one of the most unusual examples I think a lot of us have seen is that Keenan Scott, the playwright for uh, Thoughts of a Colored Man. Uh, oh, yeah. I just went, saw this. <laughs> went on uh, tonight, Tuesday, with script in hand, along with two understudies, so the show could go on. Like, that's the point we're at right now. And <laughs> that's obviously so bizarre. And that's a situation where I guess that this could happen because it's, you know, limited cast and the playwright can go on, I guess, at any given moment. Insane, though. <laughs> there's there's a limit to the show must go on, though, because like most shows cannot do that. And you are putting your actors at risk. And as you said, you've got all these understudies who are going on and saving the show, all these swings that are going on and saving the show. <sighs> Putting their life on the line. Putting though, guys. their life <laughs> on the line, and like, there's still a limit of like, is this test right? 
Like, is this, is this? Yeah. And there's so many different they, types of testing, yeah. you know, like there's, there's spitting, there's, there's the nasal swab. There's, yeah. I don't know, sitting on a chair and spinning three times and seeing if you have the Omicron it's variant. Like much it it, this point. You don't know. So as we learn more, we'll tell you, but otherwise we're going to, we're going to keep it focused. I've got one more, one positive, no pun intended story uh, about New York theater before we get into the rest of it. So today, Cecily Strong made her New York stage debut in the sign, the search of signs of intelligent life playing now through February 6th of next year at The Shed. Fingers crossed, right? Um, Playwright Jane Wagner uh, originally wrote the script in 1985 for her now wife, Lily Tomlin, uh, chef's kiss. Yes, um, we love it. Who won a uh, Best Actress Tony Award for the Broadway production, right? And then Tomlin then did the 1991 film Mm -hmm. of the same thing. 2001, there was a Broadway return. So I'm really glad that this... uh, historic piece of theaters is coming back to New yeah. York. And if you have the chance to see it, I'm desperately Find trying out. to go when I get yeah. back. I know safely. Right. Um, but I, I'm just glad this piece is back in New York. I'm really excited. I love Cecily Strong. We've talked mm-hmm. a lot about her and the schmicka and the doing of it all recently. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is not her stage debut. I think a lot of people kind of conflated that when the news mm-hmm. came out that she was doing the show. It's obviously it's her New York <laughs> oh, stage she debut. To, she's she went been to school doing for theater. I was going to say, she's <laughs> been doing a lot she's good i promise um so yeah i hope i actually get to see this i you know if we have a shutdown however long the shutdown is if this gets extended all to be seen but i would really love to see it i think it would be wise for them to film this production regardless yeah. and do a stream Evergreen of it afterwards. for everything <laughs> at this point hey. Yeah, I said this today on the tweets um, about Carolina change, and I know that the conversation is very nuanced and there's a lot that goes into it. Yeah. I'm not blind to that fact. Like Don't was. think that I just yeah. put stuff out there that just says I, there should be a pro shot because everyone says that and blah, blah, blah. I, I truthfully mean, I know that's for hard work, but Carol, this production of Roundabout's Carolina change is so incredibly moving to me, not just because I'm like a, a tied to the Broadway Records sure. album of it all. It was so incredibly impactful. I don't know. Ashley, have you seen it? Did we talk about it? I haven't gotten to see it yet. It's really annoying to me. Ashley, uh, I swear to God, before January 9th, I need your miss ass it. in that I'm seat. not going to miss it. I promise. Unless we unfortunately get a show closing notice early, I will be in a seat. I promise. Well, if 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 Ashley gets to see the show, I would really like to have a roundtable quick like fire about this show because it. It, it just I, I have a lot to say. So uh, with that being said, we're going to take a moment from the show to talk about our sponsor Upstart for this week. So I like Ashley have a mountain of debt and it's just not Ooh, cute so to look true. at. If not, like I put it in the corner with like my dirty socks. It's just disrespectful to me as a human. And um, I would like to live my best life. And I know that you would too. So with Upstart, you can pay off your existing debt quickly and easily and start living that best life. Your bills are in the corner. I'm currently sitting on a stack of mine so I can see my computer because I am short. Uh, Upstart, of course, is the fast and easy way to pay off your debt with a personal loan all online. And whether it's paying off credit cards, consolidating high interest debt or funding personal expenses, over a million people have used Upstart to get one fixed monthly payment with a clear payoff date. Rather than looking at your credit score alone, which of course we hate it, people in debt hate it, everyone should hate it, it's a garbage statistic. But Upstart considers other factors like your income, your current employment, and your credit history, and they find you a smarter rate for your loan. You can check your rate without impacting your credit score in minutes for loans between $1,000 to $50,000. You can even receive funds as fast as one business day after accepting your loan and find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com slash Broadway. 
That's upstart, U-P-S-T-A-R-T dot com slash Broadway. Don't forget to use our URL to let them know we sent you. Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit, income, and certain other information provided in your loan application. Use upstart.com slash Broadway. Ashley, do you want to get into some more happy news? Oh, yes, please save <laughs> is us. Is it happy or is it just not COVID related? <laughs> I, I, you tell me. I mean, they go hand in hand at this point. Here we are. So the Britney Spears Jukebox musical Once Upon a One More Time has opened. We talked about that, but they finally have some reviews. So we want to spit them at you and, and see what your take is. So Peter Marks at the Washington Post says the musical has so many over caffeinated fairy tale characters running around the stage of Sydney Harmon Hall that uh, Brigitte Heelan, who plays Cinderella's warm presence, comes across as a vitally calming cup of chamomile tea. Um, no song gets the space and time necessary to truly break out this frustratingly rushed sensation is emblematic of a production that packs in too many competing conceits mm, and devices. Mm-hmm. So from what I was reading, there are just literally like over 20. It's too no, much. There's, like, there's too many songs because they want to add her whole catalog, which is kind of nuts. Yeah. yeah. So now we'll go to Nicole Hartvik of the DC Metro. So she says uh, the incongruous musical that opened at Shakespeare Theater Company last night is as thought-provoking as it is toe-tapping, as clever as it is hilarious, as bold as it is shiny. It sounds like the world's wackiest idea for a musical until you've seen it, but golly, it works. Ooh, the musical, okay. yeah, which is a really lovely review. It's yeah. the only um, seemingly uh, female review that I found. So, Usually the um, case. I, and, and for the most part, most of the uh, male critics, and, and this is, again, not to draw like a a line in the sand about gendered reviews, but from what I gathered, the only positive reviews were from females and the only negative ones were from males. I don't know if that's a thing, but I'm just, uh, I'm saying it. Uh, so the musical runs at Shakespeare Theater Company and continues through January 9th, 2022 in Washington, D.C. with a potential Broadway run on the horizon. So, um, I, yeah, it sounds like it's a lot of fun. I mean, we definitely yeah. love the direction um, from Keone and Mari Madrid that we mm. talked about on the show before. But I, I am still curious. I am very curious about this. I kind of <laughs> I mean, I'm not really surprised that they decided to throw in every song Britney's ever touched <laughs> into this musical. It's really hard to cut down her uh, large catalog of work and especially for a musical that seems like it is well obviously it's going to be very pop heavy but as a result it is a very fun sounding musical therefore you want to pack in as much music as possible versus actual text, I guess. Uh, I'm hoping they do a little bit of an edit before it comes to Broadway because we know it's going to come to Broadway. Um, I, I would hate to lose songs just because I love Britney's music so much. Um, yeah, but, they said they but, had trouble fitting in You Better Work, Bitch, but <laughs> they made it happen. Well, see, <laughs> I'm like, you can't not see, do that. Uh, you, you can't not do it, but also you know, probably should lose a few here and there. I hope they do at least, <laughs> because I, do, I, I want yeah. this to succeed. It sounds like it's a lot of fun. Uh, I will certainly see it when it comes to Broadway, when it does. I just don't want it to essentially be an opera of work without it intending to be an opera and also there is a a, a feminist element to it because like one yeah. of the the characters the stepmother like uh, or maybe it's not the stepmother because i haven't seen it uh reads the feminine mystique and so the plot is like all of these uh princesses like kind of like change the course of their what is proposed to be, or what is supposed to be their story um because they are enlightened in this way so 
I just want to make sure that, that story is being told with care and not, not all these like, to men, throw it in. Not all these male reviewers <laughs> hating it. What? Weird. IDK. But there's the through line. Okay, as we reported on the show, uh, the Long Wharf Theater has commissioned a musical adaptation called Maria. However, today they issued a clarifying statement on their social media based on the fact, and we also were part of this. Um, We found uh, an article that we drew from um, to talk about the show as a West Side Story derivative, and they clarified that today. So I'm going to read their tweet as follows. Long Wharf Theater and Universes are committed to collaborating with partners that challenge the American theater to rethink universal narratives to include the voice of artists of color and disrupt longstanding societal norms. In 2019, Long Wharf Theater commissioned a new work by Universes inspired by the personal story of co-founder and co-artistic director Mildred Ruiz Sapp. It is important to distinguish that this is not a sequel to West Side Story or a derivative work, but it has its own genesis rooted in Mildred's own family experience and deep connection to Puerto Rico. Universes did not participate in any Forbes or any other interviews about this work. This is what we referenced as well. Uh, We are proud of our work to not just be part of the conversation, but do the work to build a new American theater repertoire that vigorously includes the voices of artists of color. That is a complete contrast and clarification from what we reported the other day. So first of all, apologies to the artists involved because don't want to be a part of the problem there, but we were going off of what was reported. And that's part of the fun. The fun of journalism is that, you know, we learn things and I appreciate the statement, but golly gee, Willikers is that different. This is the thing. I'm really fascinated by this and how this kind of, the cycle of reporting and how the cycle of news happened because it's been on every website. And as you said, we talked about it. Uh, I've heard other people talk about it. Uh, the, I think it was sourced in Forbes, but I know in 2020, um, when Long Wharf season was an, you know, when they announced their four new commissions in American theater even reported on it, they even wrote, quote, universes in celebration of the 25th anniversary of the ensemble will use the commission to develop a new musical Maria, a response to cultural appropriation in West Side Story. The new musical focuses on what happens to Maria after the original musical concludes. So there is definitely, and, and then, even Stephen Sapp followed up in a statement which doesn't sound so much like it's an actual sequel to West Side Story. Uh, Stephen said, quote, our jump off points begins where the imagined Puerto Rican lives that inspired West... Oh, sorry. Our jump off point begins with the imagined Puerto Rican lives that inspired West Side Story left off interweaving true Puerto Rican narratives. We discovered the the journey of a story eyed Puerto Rican girl through her life's journey, witnessing what she has experienced in the world she has inspired along the way. So (laughs) somewhere along the line, this got conflated into by all new sources into a West Side Story sequel in the way of like, this is going to follow Maria and it's going to be a sequel to Mm. West Side Story and it's gonna you know have all the themes where it's really this was just a jumping off point to kind of deal with like the levels of cultural appropriation and you know the narrative of a Puerto Rican girl in America like 
<laughs> and I don't really know how that happened because I know even then, like Broadway World reported on it and several other publications probably did as well. It's just very strange how this happened and not only how it happened then, but how it's like repeated itself here in such big yeah. ways. I, I'm not, I'm not quite sure what happened. It was the weirdest game of telephone ever. And I'm sorry that this has seemingly happened twice. Um, and, and that's not to say that the, American theater piece that I just read um, was saying that it was a sequel to West Side Story, because even that said it was like a response to the cultural appropriation West Side Story that used it as a jumping off point. But then everything was like, oh, it's a West Side Story sequel. And I, it's it's weird how we got to that point. Where, bro? Uh, I want to I want to flag some things for you guys to watch if you are either you know at home quarantining or just want some yes, theatrical indeed. watches. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the annual presentation of the Kennedy Center Honors airs today, Wednesday, December twenty second at nine p.m. It's its forty fourth year on CBS, and that the honorees include Bette Midler, Joni Mitchell, Lauren Michaels, Justina Diaz. And Barry Gordy, you can watch it on Paramount Plus or Hulu Plus with live TV. You can get free trials for both if you don't have them, um, which both provide access to CBS. So if you forgot, because we talked about it forever ago, it's actually happening <laughs> right now. Hello, go watch it. <laughs> go watch it. And then the long-awaited HBO documentary, which we've, of course, covered on the show as well, is Jocelyn Bia's modern adaptation of the Merry Wives of Windsor documentary on HBO Max called Reopening Night. It's about the, the documentary covers the shutdown, the reopening of theater at the public theater. I can't wait to watch this tonight actually. So um, I, I'm very curious because I forgot that it was coming out right now. And, Same. and I don't know if I don't know if the timing's perfect now, um, but it's uh, it's definitely something care. that we should all yeah. Yeah, have our eyes on. <laughs> And then finally, in some recommendations before we get into uh, the best part of the show, which is uh, Matt's conversation with Kit Shapiro, uh, I want to flag this video of Hugh Jackman's entrance for the Music Man and with a little a little bit of Shapoopy. Now, I will say this. Of course, there's going to be entrance applause for this man. He is the Music Man. He, he is, is the greatest the show man. He is the Hugh Jackman. <laughs> this man can't stop being some type of man. And I am a fan. Uh, but I will say that in the Shapoopy video i don't know if you saw this that damn tempo is very slow and Ooh. i don't know if they're gonna pick it up but that's gonna be a three-hour show there. And i don't know if i can do that i certainly can i can't even do it at its normal length but i am very excited <laughs> for everybody who's excited about this show and that is all i will say about that full well, same so coming up right at the end of our show right now matt is interviewing kit shapiro who is the daughter of eartha kit it's all about this new book coming out their conversation sounds yeah. fascinating uh we want to learn more i'm a big eartha fan so this yeah. is a uh, this is very exciting conversation. So thank you, Matt, for for doing that. Well, Kit, I, what I find so fascinating about this book is that so often when people write books talking about their loved ones and family members, um, especially posthumously, um, it's not necessarily at the request of the person that's the subject of the book. But this is something that your mother really wanted you to do. Why why was that? She's written. Uh, a number of autobiographies before she passed, but this was something that she felt was important for you to put out in the world. What, what was behind that thought from her? Um, I think, you know, she always felt, and she said this to me my entire life, that, you know, you have, you know, I've worked very hard to become, you know, who I am. And when I die, it's for you to take that legacy and those teachings and, you know, carry them to the next generation to make them your own. And, um, and I, and I also know that she felt 
that her work, whether it be on television or music, will, will last, you know, in perpetuity with technology. Uh, but who she was as a person, um, that was something that was really important for her to have people remember that human being um, that, that had such an impact on, on this world um, as the human, not the celebrity. Uh, and I think that, that was, that's been, to me, the most important part of this book, is sharing who she was as a mother, who she was as a person, you know, her integrity, uh, her humanity, um, her, her respect for other people and the world that we live in. Um, so it became obvious to me that these, with the times we're living in, um, you know, forget about even the COVID, but yeah. as just human beings and how we're treating each other, um, it just was important to, you know, to put this out there uh, as yet another reminder of the importance of treating each other with kindness and with love. Well, and your mother was such a, I mean, she was really so far ahead of her time. A lot of the things that she was passionate about and fought for and spoke out about are still things that we are unfortunately, you know, fighting with today. She would have been just as much of a firebrand uh, today, I feel like, uh, as she was back in the 60s and, and 70s. What was it about her life? I know she grew up poor, didn't have much of a familial connection um, in her early years. What was it about her that gave her that compassion and that love and that caring that you talked about um, that made her not only the incredibly deeply committed performer that she was, but also just that giving and loving and compassionate human being as well. I think a couple of things. I mean, my mother was born in, in a little town in South Carolina in 1927. Um, she was orphaned at a young age. Um, she was mixed race, although the identity of her father was never discovered by her at least. Um, and, from a very early age, she was brutally treated um, by the people that, you know, lived in her town. Um, also, you know, black people. Um, I think she really didn't. She she was just had the genetic makeup of someone that just is, was an injustice. Like, why would you treat a little child so badly because they were born a certain color that wasn't the right color for you? And I think that just struck her and and just she took that with her her entire life she held on to the treatment and the brutality and the, the mistreatment that she experienced in the south um and and she didn't hold on to it necessarily with anger or 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 bitterness she held on to it because it showed her uh the importance of of trying to teach people the other way to, to to interact with each other with kindness, respect, and understanding that we're all different. And that's who, that's what makes human beings so unique and so beautiful. And, and I think that's really what she, what she would drove her uh, throughout her life was just, you know, you would stand up to injustice, even if it was just one voice being heard. Uh, if you didn't, if you saw something that you didn't, you know, somebody treat somebody that wasn't right. My mother was very much about right or wrong. And right was just kindness and respect. You didn't even have to really love each other. You just had to respect hmm. that the other person has a right to be here, just like you yeah. do. Well, and you said she was never afraid to speak up when, when she saw something that wasn't right. I mean, that's, you know, one of the most famous stories outside of her performing career was how she spoke out against the Vietnam War and was essentially blackballed for uh, a long time because of it. Did she ever mm -hmm. feel 
uh, like that was a mistake? Did she ever feel like, oh, I could have done it a different way? I didn't have to actually say some of these things to the first lady herself. Or uh, did did she did she feel confident in what she said and, and consequences be damned? Yeah, that she felt at the latter. Um, she regretted that that's what the outcome was, that she was blackballed in sure. the United States by President Johnson and his administration. Um, but she never regretted um, what she said or that she, you know, that she gave her opinion. She was asked her opinion. She said, when somebody asked me my opinion, I actually think they want to hear what I have to say. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, she took she took our, our, our rights as Americans very personally. She was in the White House. She said freedom of speech is is it's written there for, you know, I, I assume that of all the places I should be able to have freedom of speech, it should be right there. Um, she does not, you know, it was said that she yelled at Lady Bird Johnson. She said, I did not raise my voice. I did not yell at her. I didn't, I was not disrespectful. Um, and so she, she never regretted um, what she said uh, because I, I, because I think that she felt Exactly that. Whether you uh, you're in a public forum or your private forum, if somebody asks you your opinion, that you have a right to tell them how you feel. It doesn't mean that they're going to change or that you you know you're going to uh, you know make them feel different. But she loved the art of conversation. She loved to hear people's differences because she said that's how you learn. Uh, that's how you understand uh, maybe why somebody feels the way that they do. And that to her was a form of respect of, of being able to hear what somebody else's opinion was hmm. that's fascinating and for those of us that know her primarily as a performer and 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 you know truly an icon of both stage screen and recording and especially for those of us in the theater community who you know know of her this long theater career how did she take that part of herself and that uh, that dedication to doing what's right, that compassion that she has for other people, the willingness to kind of stand her ground. And how did that inform her career as a performer in whatever medium that might have been? Um, well, I think a couple of ways. I think behind the scenes, my mother was a stickler for um, punctuality for manners because you you should respect um the, the you know your fellow teammates uh, you should respect the elders uh, my mother was very much about respecting um your elders and you should respect the the powers of the people who hired you the directors the writers and everybody who you know was asked to for you to appear at a certain time and to be prepared and, and know your uh, role so that was something that she felt was you know she would bring that to to a company. Uh, she rate, she had a very high bar for how people should should you know interact with each other um, as well as herself. Um, and then I think she also brought a tremendous sense of humor. Uh, my mother enjoyed every day that she she said every day she would wake up and you know she would thank God for you know being able to see to breathe to eat to you know to do what she does um, and she loved being able to to laugh and and enjoy um, you know even the most mundane moments. Um, I think when she would choose a role, she would choose a role that that was you know close to her heart. Um, she would always follow her gut. The times that she said where she where she felt that she may have made a, you know a mistake in in choosing a role was when she, you know somebody talked her into doing something that she knew wasn't right mm -hmm. for her, and so I think that she was you know she was always true to herself, and because of that, the people that she you know that, that were around her uh, had an incredible sense of respect for who she was and and you know and what she represented and the talent that she had um, you know as a celebrity 
as a performer, but also just as a person. Yeah. Was there a role that she was most proud of that maybe might not be the the biggest flashiest ones of all not the not the batman not the emperor's new groove you know the, the ones that maybe she was incredibly proud of that might have been under the radar for people who didn't know her personally well her biggest the the role that she was the most proud of was was being a mother that, that she would say that, you know, she would have said that she would have said that that was the most important thing to her. Um, and as her as her only child, I can say thank you. for that. But, <laughs> um, professionally, professionally, um, you know, it's interesting. She did um, Lady Day at Emerson's Bar and Grill in mm-hmm. Chicago. Um, and it was I don't even remember the year. Um, and I think it was something that really was intense um, her performance was incredible. Uh, and I think she was very, very proud of that. Uh, she was proud of the, of being, you know, cast as Catwoman in the t- television series, Batman, not for many reasons. One, you think about, and I think obviously it's the role she's probably the most known for aside from her singing, um, Santa baby. Mm-hmm. But I think because, you know, at the time when she was cast, there wasn't a woman of color who was playing this, you know, had this sort of sexual tension with the white male lead. Um, now it was a very campy show, obviously, and very mm-hmm. over the top. But here you have this, here you have this black woman who's wearing this incredibly skin tight, you know, sexy suit, <laughs> who's very strong willed and powerful, even though she's the villain. Um, and, you know, is not intimidated by the white man. Um, I think the, the role represented a lot more than just what you saw on the surface. So I, I do think that that to her was something that she that she really held on to with a lot of pride. Um, and it took a lot of risk for everybody involved, you know, back in 1968 to 69 yeah. um, to, you know, to cast her at that. Yeah. You, you kind of talk about the fact that she has this, whether it's Santa Baby or Catwoman or whatever, she has this kind of um, sex pot bombshell kind of uh, person. Sona, is there a story in the book specifically that kind of sheds a new light on who she is at either as a person, as a performer, or as you mentioned, as as a mother that kind of people might be surprised to hear that Eartha Kitt was like this when she wasn't doing everything she did in the public spotlight? I think so. I think that that's to me the most important part of, of the book is, is showing who she was as a as a human being. And you know, she was very down to earth. Um, and I say that obviously tongue in cheek. Eartha was <laughs> her given name, but and but she really was all about the environment and uh, eating healthy. Um, you know, eating organically grown foods. We always had vegetable gardens, even, you know, I said my mother was the original Beverly Hillbilly because in the middle of Beverly Hills, we had vegetable gardens. Now, people say that and was like, okay, who cares? You know, my parents have a vegetable garden or my sister has a vegetable garden or I have my, well, you know what? In the 1950s and 60s, that was not the norm. That was really an anomaly. Uh, We had chickens, you know, in in our house in Beverly Hills. And, And my mother was very much, you know, about my having chores and, you know, and we would we we didn't eat the chickens, but we had their eggs. And my mother taught me the importance of treating the environment and, and our, our earth, our soil, you put, you compost, you put back into the earth and soil, good things. And it reaps, you, you know, you reap what you sow, and then you will have, you know, blessings and, and, and flourished vegetables and and fruits um, for, you know, in the future. 
And you also, you don't waste anything, you know, that was important. And you put into your body what's healthy. You put into your body what what nature provides, not chemicals, not processed. Um, I think that's going to be a piece, as people read the book, that they're going to be a little surprised that she was so ahead of her time when it came to the environment and, you know, in eating new naturally. Yeah, I would not have assumed that that was on the radar of many people in this, despite all of the uh, the, the the social change and, and those kind of things in the 60s and 70s. That, that is still kind of surprising even today to hear that she was, again, like I said earlier, so far ahead of her time and so many things that are now becoming much more commonplace that 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 weren't so back in the day. Um, Absolutely. You mentioned Santa Baby. It, it, we're talking the week of Christmas. Is 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 this a week or something when that song starts popping up, uh, you know, starting, I guess we start hearing Christmas music earlier and earlier every year. It feels right. like, well, but... this year was like, you know, Halloween, when <laughs> I know. Christmas music. I mean, I know. Um, you know, it is, it's, and you have to also remember, so Santa baby, the song, which was written for my mother in 1953 um, wow. is, you know, to, still to this day. I mean, you know, it's, it's played, as you mentioned, every single year. Um, and you have to understand my mother also died on Christmas Day, which oh, wow. I don't think is that big a <laughs> that big a coincidence. I think the irony that she was going to leave this planet um, reminding people that she was the one that you know made that <laughs> song famous Good for her. Good uh, for is her. not lost was not lost on me, but yeah, exactly. she was she made sure that there was an exclamation point put at the end of you know her life. And so yeah, I mean it's it's such an it's interesting. My husband always says to me, you know it's like I, you know I, I you're the only one I know who gets to hear your mother's you know, mother all the in the weirdest places like bed bath and beyond or like starbucks i mean you know all of a sudden i'm standing there and i'm like okay there's my mother again yeah <laughs> it's kind of funny yeah did, did she uh with all of this the, the recording that she did throughout the years did did that song become like you said you hear it all the time did she ever become tired of it or was she incredibly proud like you said putting the exclamation point with her dying on christmas was that a, a point of pride to her that that was such a a long-standing and beloved classic i think so i mean yeah she embraced it and you know she was very good at, at being appreciative for what the you know what her her career had brought her and and i think if you listen to anybody who's either a songwriter or an artist i mean who doesn't want a song that's you know uh, an evergreen that every yeah. year is, is replayed over and over again no matter you know how far away from your you know when you left this planet so yeah i think that you know she took tremendous pride that that song um she definitely made left her mark with that song yeah well we spent a lot of time talking about your mother in this interview with for a lot of obvious reasons but the book is called eartha and kit and it is um you know subtitled a daughter's love story in black and white so i wonder we talked about why she wanted you to write this book and the legacy to be told about what she brought to you know the world during her life. But what did you either learn or uh, understand more or kind of see for the first time through new eyes as you were going through the process of writing this book? I mean, I, I've always been, as have said, that I'm blessed to have understood and to have appreciated the relationship that my mother and I had, which was very, very close and incredibly loving. Um, she was a, a very devoted and affectionate and, and loved me beyond. Um, I was always grateful that I understood that um, while she was alive. As as I get further this Christmas, it'll be 13 years since she's passed. Um, and I read and I write about all of you know who she really was as a human being and, and a teacher and a parent. 
um, I have more of an appreciation of her strength, of her um, ability to stand up or, you know, what she felt was truth, um, what she felt was how we should treat each other. And it's not that she, you know, she didn't feel you needed to be the loudest voice in the room or the biggest celebrity on the planet. My mother felt that you could be just a regular Joe and you can affect change in somebody else's life. You can be, you can smile, you can be kind, you can be respectful. And that the ripple effect that has, you know, is how change is really um, affected in with human beings. She explained to me when I was a little girl, she would teach me how to skim, skip rocks along with a pond Mm -hmm. in our backyard. And, and she would say, you know, if you take a big boulder and you plop it into the water, you know, you see these big ripple, and, and and the ripples, you know, have they change the shoreline? They have a, have a, you know, they affect change on the shoreline. The little pebbles, um, the ripples are, are much smaller, but over time, they too will have an effect to change the shoreline. It takes more of them, and it takes longer, but it mm-hmm. still will have an effect. And I think that you know, when you think about that as a child, and how that sort of that's a teaching of that it doesn't matter how how who you are, that we can all just learn to be kind and respect each other. And I think that that to me was the importance of writing the book and the more, and what I really had more respect with the the more that I wrote these stories about who she was and how she, you know, how she taught me and how she treated the people around her. That is what's the, you know, more and more drilled home to me is that she was really an incredible human. Um, human being. And when I titled the book, A Daughter's Love Story in Black and White, uh, black and white to me means a lot of things. One, my mother, if you look at the difference between us, I mean, I'm blonde and and light skinned. My mother is much darker. And um, she would say to me, you're like a walking United Nations. You either fill every (laughs) quota or you break every rule. Um, And she loved that. She loved that I was sort of like this mutt that you couldn't really identify what my my genetic background was. Um, But I also feel that, that it's simplistic in that like I mentioned earlier my mother's view on how you how you treat people is very simplistic um, and it's just you know humanistic in that we are we, be, we just be kind and nice just be nice it's very simple just be nice um, and, and kind and, and smile and say thank you and please and and those are very simplistic ideas but they really mean a lot when we put them into practice that's those are the teachings that my mother my mother gave to me and those those are what I'm hoping that the lessons that are in this book that other people will be able to take away. Um, you know, we live in the 2021 and there are people on social media, you know, who say to me that you couldn't possibly be her biological child because, you know, you're, there's no way she had a daughter who looks like you. Hmm. I mean, the ignorance behind that, that, you know, genetics. And I mean, I can't help the way I was born. I mean, this yeah. is what I, how I came out, you know, um, hmm. It's just that people that they want to deny your at your existence because you don't appear the way they think you should look. Um, and my mother was very much about you know proving that it, it doesn't that your 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 mindset you got to get out of that that everybody's different for a reason and that human beings are beautiful because of their differences and you just embrace that. And yes, I am my mother's biological child. Um, and you know it's. 
genetics are a weird thing. What can I tell you? <laughs> Very true. And I think we see that uh, all the time. But uh, I will, I'll wrap up the conversation. I have a couple of questions talking about kind of some of those lessons that you you mentioned that your mother taught you. Throughout the book, we see all of these these kit-isms that um, she, she says, these little aphorisms that uh, she says. And I know you do a lot with those things even beyond the book um, and, and some of your other work as well. Was there some saying that your mother would say regularly, and you've mentioned some of them in the uh, in our conversation already, but something she said regularly or, or maybe something she just said once that stuck with you most that you feel like really represents who your mother was and or the relationship that you had with her as she was raising you and teaching you all that she did? Yes, I would say there were two. One of them, and it was, you know, as I mentioned earlier, that she was treated, you know, terribly and when she as a young girl in the south my mother said i have taken all the fertilizer i have taken all the manure that has been thrown on me my entire life and used it as fertilizer hmm. i think that that speaks volumes for who she was as a person um i think that she took that all of the treatment i mean listen she grew up in in the you know the 30s 40s and 50s 60s uh, from a young girl you know in the South to moving to New York city to then going into show business, um, you know, as a, as a woman of color uh, and a beautiful woman, um, you know, she had a lot of stories, a lot of moments, you know, she said there were a lot of, you know, casting couches that she had to, you know, run away from. Um, yeah. So, but yet she took all of those obstacles and difficult times and built on them and, and gave, they gave her strength and they gave her reason to, you know, to continue to move forward. The other thing that she would say to me, she would say, don't panic. God may not be there when you want him, but he's always on time. And I think that my mother was very good at assessing a situation, um, even if it was an unpleasant one, and sort of taking a beat before you would react uh, and and see, you know, what it is that maybe you're supposed to, like, learn or, or observe or, or an opportunity that might be there that you don't really realize because you're so busy, you know, being, you know, frantic about you know, uh, something didn't work out the way that you wanted to. So yeah. those two comments that, you know, and those really were who she was and who made her this incredible human being that I share with people in the book uh, are, are, are two things. Yeah, I have the words don't panic tattooed on my wrist and, <laughs> and I, I don't, I don't work them as effectively maybe as my mother did. My children will often say to me, look at your wrist, mom, look at your wrist. Uh, <laughs> they, they know grandma's <laughs> words are powerful. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, but you know, those are, these are, these are lessons that we, that we hopefully, we all have a legacy. We all have somebody in our lives to, who's touched our lives in some form or fashion. And we all have the ability to share with each other these moments, these lessons, these stories. Um, and I just think that's a really important thing, you know, learning from our past, holding on to our history, um, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, um, you know, to learn from it or to, you know, enjoy it uh, is, is something that we're all able to do. And we, and hopefully we'll, we'll keep us all talking to, you know, with each other and, and, caring about each other's, you know, and who we are. Yeah. Well, I'll wrap it up on this question. This book was originally released on Mother's Day, so a different holiday. Um, but as we mm -hmm. talked about your mother and her legacy, both personally and professionally, we're so connected to Christmas. And while we are just a few shopping days uh, away from Christmas, um, this seems like with all of the lessons of kindness and compassion and giving and caring, it seems like this would actually be a wonderful uh, gift for somebody 
likely to give uh, to a loved one this holiday season. If they, if somebody gives this as a gift and somebody reads this book um, shortly after the holiday season, in general, overall, what do you think is the message and or lesson that they can take away from not only your mother's story, but the relationship that you and her had um, growing up and into adulthood and, and everything that she imparted on you throughout your entire life? Well, I think that the one thing that I think you're going to feel in the book is the incredible amount of love that we had for each other. And I think that that my mother would say you can never love a child too much. And I I think that's what we all yearn for as human beings, whether it be from our parents or from, you know, other each other, just respect and love. And I think, you know, the thing that I would that, that people I'm hoping will take away from this is just to understand that to respect ourselves, my mother was very big about respecting yourself and treating yourself with kindness and to respect each other and respect and treat each other with kindness. It's, it's, again, we go back to this, you know, it's very simplistic, but I really would love to take it back. We're living in, in uncertain times and turmoil, and there's just so much hatred and nastiness towards each other. And it's just it's just energy that I feel and my mother felt is just so wasted. I mean, there's so much joy and beauty mm-hmm. in this world. And if you wake up breathing every day and, and you're lucky enough to have your health um, and have people around you who, who you care about, um, just and even if you don't have people around you care about, just treat the people you encounter during the day with kindness. Just, you know, just be a, a decent human being. I think that's what you'll notice the most about my mother. Well, that is lovely. And as much of an icon as she is for the work she did on stage and screen and recording, it's wonderful to, to hear and read these stories um, about what an incredible person she was as well. And and sometimes we don't get to see behind the curtain, uh, so to speak, in, in a lot of these ways. But so I, I really appreciate you uh, uh, talking to us about this and for writing the book, because uh, it's it's really a fascinating and, and lovely read. So thank you again for thank going you. through all of this. Have a, a Merry Christmas. I, I'm sure that there are a lot of mixed emotions around that holiday, um, but we will be celebrating your mother's uh, life in honor of, of everything she gave to the world uh, here in a couple days. Thank you. I really appreciate you having me today and, and letting me express and tend to share my, who my mother was with, with others. And Merry Christmas to you as well. Santa baby, a 54 convert. Thanks for listening to today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Broadway Radio. And don't forget about our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash Broadway Radio. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok at It's Grace Aki. Ashley, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at No, This Is Ashley. Thank you guys so much for sticking with us. It's going to get better. We will see you tomorrow. Think of all the fun I've missed. Of all the fellas that I haven't kissed Next year I could be just as good If you check off my Christmas list